0: Hi, I'm Chris McLean from Stonechair Capital. Earlier, I had the opportunity to sit down with Wale Eweje of Watt Renewables and hear how the power of diaspora is changing the telecoms industry in Nigeria. Let's dive into that discussion with Wale of Watt Renewables and learn more about energy and Africa. Thanks for joining me today and, and I have a great discussion that um, I'm very much looking forward to. It's with a, a gentleman I've known for some time now, Wale Ewuche, and he joins me here in Calgary at the studio, which is a fabulous opportunity. Um, Wale is normally back and forth from Nigeria and it's quite a pleasure to have him here in studio today. And, and so Wale I'd like to give the floor to you a little bit and just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thanks, Chris. It's uh, it's actually good to join uh, to join this discussion. I know we've, we've talked about this, and it's good to actually be uh, having this discussion uh, discussion with you. Um, about myself, it's uh, <laughs> I never really know where to start uh, with that particular question, but I guess I can try to go a little way back to when I was in a uh, junior high. That's a that's a long ways back, but um Junior, I I remember I went to a boarding school. Um and in boarding school over the weekends you got lots of time. In the evenings you've got lots of lots of time. And especially at night you have a ton of time because there's ninety nine oh, well, let me say about eighty percent of the time there's no power. So you're spending time outside with with your colleagues, uh, with the other students, just kind of catching up on what's happened, what your dreams are, what, what you want to do when you finally get home, what you want to do when you grow up. And I remember one particular weekend I was, I was in a conversation on the field with a friend of mine, and we were talking about, wouldn't it be great if we could solve part of this problem where we don't have power at night? Um, we all go to bed all sweaty, in the middle of the night, you can't sleep well because it's hot. You know, you leave the windows open, you get bitten by mosquitoes, you get malaria, all that kind of that kind of stuff. And I mean fast forward many decades later, that that desire actually really never, never left. Mm-hmm. It somewhat it always played somewhere at the back of my uh, back of my mind. Um, and I know we'll get to the discussion in and around what we currently do, but um, I think that discussion really was a very pivotal discussion very early on for me because it kind of shaped a lot of the ways that I looked at um, social services in, in Nigeria. My name is Wale Weje. Thank you for the intro um, I am, yes, Nigerian. I've lived in Canada now for almost 20 years, on and off. Um, I, I grew up in, a, I'll say, a lower middle class family um, and got the great opportunity to come to such a wonderful country to, uh, to actually go to school. Um, I, I've got a background in engineering and, and business. Um I've I mean I've worked in a lot of the international engineering firms, some management consulting firms, um, worked with some banks locally and internationally. And right now uh we are leading what we would call um the renewable energy revolution in Africa. Um we're looking at ways with which uh we can we can close that gap in that massive powers, um, power vacuum uh, that there is, energy vacuum, I should say, that there is uh, in Africa. And um, I'm sure you, you'd have a lot more questions. We can d- do a deep dive into my upbringing. No, that, that, that's great. Um, you, you, you had an important thing that I was going to get to
0: here was to say, you've worked in industry that wasn't energy in Africa and and there was that motivation at your core being that took you back to there's a problem that I know I have the skills to solve. That's right. So tell me about the journey that you uh, have been on with what and, and the things that you've done here in Canada and how that drew you eventually to, to Nigeria.
1: Yeah, so that's a uh, good question. Um, maybe I'll start off with the journey, and uh, I would kind of just... Talk about the journey that kind of led up to the company. Sure. Why? When it came to Canada, there were certain problems that I thought that I could solve or be a part of the solution when I go back to Nigeria. I'd always known I was going to go back. Um, There were certain issues that I had identified as a young adult before I left. Uh, power was one of them. Agriculture was another one. Um, housing or real estate uh, was another one. The ability to move people around, transportation, were four key items mm. that I thought, you know what? Massive opportunity. You go into a developed country. They've, found, they've figured out the solution to all of these problems. All you really got to do is don't reinvent the wheels. Just look at what they've done. Um, and see how you can take some of those learnings and bring it back. Now, very naive, very early on, I thought it was going to be as simple as you go to school, you graduate, you get all these learnings, maybe one or two years of work experience, and boom, you go back and you solve all these problems. But uh, it never ended up working that way. Um, Graduating, um, I figured I needed to learn something, hmm. so I went worked with the government of BC for a while. Okay. Um, I um, I worked in energy and mines. I worked in the Ministry of Forest for a while, and kind of felt it just wasn't enough. I wanted to learn more, so I took the big step from very beautiful British Columbia, uh, and I took the step and went to uh, extremely cold Fort McMurray, Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you've been to Fort Max. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, the story of Fort Mac is a different one, but we can get to that later. Um, but in Fort Mac, I was learning the old sands. Um, and I was also learning how to project manage, how to manage people, how to solve real complex problems. Now, people might say the technology is out there, but... All SANS is still, well, back then was still solving complex issues, how to actually get this oil out and effectively and at a certain cost range. And I took a lot of those learnings and kind of developed my own skill set in leadership. And that's really what I got out of that. But I always felt that I still had not gotten to any of the four central key points that I was trying to find a solution to. Um, eventually I ended up working with this uh, management consultant firm, engineering management consultant firm. And it was at that point that I actually started identifying solutions to some of these key problems. Hmm. And I remember just as about, as the recession was gradually about to start in Canada in 2015, 2016, yep. um, I, was having, um, I was having drinks with some of my friends one night and I said, You know, I've really been thinking about this thing for a long time. Um, We've got a massive energy power issue in Africa. Um, And we had just finished working on a power project for this engineering management firm that I was working for. And I said, I strongly believe that we, all of us at this table, do have the skill set to solve the problem. Um, We kind of chatted about it. We didn't really go in any one particular way on what the real solution was, but we talked about the problem in, in a lot more detail. Mm-hmm. And as we kept looking, we realized that the NDP had just won government uh, governance in Alberta, yeah. and they were really big on renewable energy. And we started looking at what policies they had and how we could actually get in there um, we started working with some indigenous communities
0: oh, okay. um, yep.
1: in uh, in Alberta yeah. in trying to help them with that transition from conventional power supply and diesel dependency to renewable because the NDP government was really supportive of that. And as we were doing that consultation, we were doing that engineering, we started saying to ourselves, oh, then this might be part of the solution. Hmm. And we looked at the African, or well, I guess you could say the African and the Nigerian problem, and looked at the solutions we were preferring in Canada, and said, you know what, we can take this exact same solution to Nigeria, and it would work perfectly. So that's where that's where the whole idea of going to Nigeria started. Now, the whole idea of Canada in itself actually started from that first conversation we had just all sitting around having drinks um, and identifying how to solve it. Now, and there's a there's another interesting story in and around how the name came about, but we'll tell you about that one. i I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> Fair enough. The
0: <clears throat> powerful, powerful thing that has resonance when I talk to you is the irrefutable force that diaspora have mm. that change is driven by inside out correct a- and you are a a prime example of the 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 focus that has been since your early formative years, as it were, to, to here you are today with, with a, a business in Canada and Nigeria that's affecting change where you see it most needed. Yeah. The, the place where you and I connected, um, or, or, um, first sort of came across each other was at the, uh, Africa Investment Forum in 2019. That's correct. um, and you were there because you had won a business plan competition. Talk me through that.
1: Yeah, that was uh, the private financing uh, advisory network, PFAN. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the PFAN is sponsored by Unido. Um, and they throw out this, they do this competition. They gather the the best energy projects in different parts of Africa. Um, and we initially all go through an initial advisory process. Okay. And then from that advisory process, they pick the top 10 or the top 15 projects and they all come together um, for a pitch competition um, and you get to pitch your project to uh, to investors. Now, you know, I, I, my fan folks have probably heard this, but um, I'm going to tell this little story about PFAN. Sure, um, yeah. You know, I had a competition in Vancouver. Um, I'd heard about them. We'd applied. We didn't get in the first time. Um, we'd applied a second time. We'd gotten in because it's a, quite an exclusive program uh, to get in. Um, we finally got into the program. Um, and when we got into the program, um, we were told that at the end of it, the old goal is to get financing for your project. But one of the f- best ways to get to a lot of investors is to be able to get into this pitch competition eventually. Okay, yep, yep. Um, that's really where the crop de la crème of, uh, of all the projects that they have actually all come together and then they pitch to investors from all over the place. Uh, a global shark tank. Exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly, just kind of like the shark tank. Yeah. Um, so I went to Vancouver and left... Calgary, flew down to Vancouver to go watch um, one of this Shark Tank type competition that they had going on. And I was like, oh wow, look at all these investors. Oh, wow, I really, would really love to get to make it to this point. Um, and we spent we spent about seven months um, with an advisor. Uh, shout out to Monica Semek. Um, and we we already had some of these documents already, but she really helped us own into it, perfect it, and we got it out there. Um, finally, Pfan looked at it. They thought it was a. They thought we had a really good project, and we. I think we're maybe one of the last projects to be selected into that competition, if not the last project to be selected uh, into that competition, and you know. There's something to be said about the fact that you know that you just kind of just got in there just barely, <laughs> you know. And, yep. and But there's always that conviction that we strongly believe, I strongly believe that we've got, we've got a very well-developed project. We'll talk about the project. Uh, we've got a very well-developed project. Uh, we've got a really good organization and we've got extremely great processes. Outside of all of that, we're solving a real need um for lots of people, which we're also gonna talk about. But yes, we got into the into the competition, um, and as we were prepping for it, I mean we took it seriously. Like we knew that we barely got in. We didn't understand why, but we barely got in. And we took it very seriously. And at the end of the at the end of the one week event, uh, we came in first. We actually won the competition. Um, and just by virtue of winning that competition, we also got invited to the African Investment Forum, which is where you were um as an investor. Um and we got into the African Investment Forum to actually do the same pitch uh to a much wider investor audience um, at the uh, at the a i f and um but there's there's one thing I should also mention that mm-hmm. Pfan did help, but so did another organization called Get Invest. Um, and there were two individuals within Get Invest Adanker. And Michael Feldner, that I would say, in this space that we are in, really groomed us, and well, they groomed me at least, mm. uh, to to the point where we fully we had a perfect, a really good business plan, we had really good processes, we had all investor type ready documentation uh, that any investor would require, and allowed us to also look at in a very critical sense the risk associated with the project, project that, we, that we are doing. So it wasn't just PFAN that really kind of got us there. Uh, it, was, it was PFAN helped get us to that pitch competition and to AIF. GetInvest really helped us get ready for all of these conversations that we've been having ever since.
0: For our listeners, we'll make sure that the uh, contact details for these different organizations are in the show notes because it's an important part of your path, and I, others would definitely, I think, benefit from that as well.
1: Absolutely, I would. I mean, I would recommend. I would recommend Get Invests um, anytime to any anyone. I would recommend uh, PFana, PFANA as well to anyone.
0: So let's jump ahead to where you are today. You've got a. A tiger by the tail, as it were. You've got a big, giant project.
1: You've got big, giant goals. Tell us about it. Um, I mean, to, I'll start off with the, with the, with the big, giant project sure. uh, that we've got. Um, there are three, in my own opinion, I would say maybe about four um, big energy polluters uh, in Nigeria. I'm just using Nigeria now in this particular case. It probably applies to other parts of Africa um, as well. Uh, residential consumer that always run generators all the time is one. Um, vehicles on the road, um, especially in a place like Nigeria, that is always, you've been to Nigeria. Oh, yeah, many times, yeah. yeah. And so you've been to Lagos, you know what it's uh, what it's like. Massive pollution from, uh, from all the vehicles that are on the road. Um, Government, just from the scale of operations that the government and influence the government has in in the entire country and the amount of energy that they use. And another massive con- um, energy polluter um, that we don't typically talk about a lot are telecom companies. Because of the reliability that is required to keep everybody connected, you need your cell phone towers to be constantly powered. In a lot of African countries, um, the electrification rate is really low. In Nigeria, I think it might be maybe about 45-47% electrification rate. The generation rate is also very, very low compared to uh, the energy needs. In Nigeria, um, I think we've got a generating capacity of maybe about Um, About twelve to fifteen megawatt, gigawatt, uh, gigawatt. Yep, yeah. But we are only generating five, five about say about five to six. Yep. So, but the country in itself um, needs a lot more than that. I mean, the country in itself is probably needs anywhere from maybe like twenty, if not more. I mean, if you if you we've got a country of. um, of about, say, 180 million, 200 million people. If each person, or if each, let's say each person uses, say, one kilowatt, that's about, what, 200 gigawatt of power that is required. We're not even anywhere close to what the people actually need. So what do this uh, this telecoms company do? They still need to make sure that their cell towers are up um, to ensure the reliability they run generators. Now, what a lot of people, maybe a lot of people do not understand or maybe do not know is if a cell tower is down, you're not able to make calls. You get dropped calls. You're not able to surf the internet. Um, you're not able to send text messages. You're essentially like cut off from uh, from the world. Now, in Africa, what most people do is because of that constant drop in drop calls and all those issues, they have multiple cell phones and they have multiple service providers. Very ineffective. In Canada, we have one because it's reliable, right? In Nigeria, they have multiple because when one goes down because the generator has stopped working, then they can switch to the other one to be able to make a call or to be able to surf uh, surf the internet. Now, the only solution... The solution, not the only one, but the solution that a cell phone, these telecom providers had come up with was to have multiple generators running at any time. So they have a generator running, then they've got a generator on standby. Hmm. So if one was to fail, the other one would kick in. And because of that, they're running their generator 24-7, 365 days a year. In some cases, they've been running it like that for 20 years. And in some cases, they've got thousands of sites where that's what they do. I think in Nigeria right now, we have about 17,000, over, over 20,000 cell phone sites that are all running on generators. So now we came in and we said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that better way is um, what we refer to as a solar hybrid solution. Okay. Um, so we've got uh, solar energy storage um, with a bad, uh, sorry, with a generator as backup. The the most of the sites now run on solar and battery um, rather than running your generator twenty four hours. You might run them zero hours, or at times you might run them four hours uh, in a day. So that's, that's what we are doing. That's a big, giant project. But there's another component to that project, hmm. which is in and around a lot of the cell phone towers, are uh, service providers, most of them try to congregate around the cell phone towers because they know that those cell phone towers would always stay up in terms of power all the time. Right. So they try to get power from those stations to be able to provide services to the to their community. It could be cell phone charging services, which is what we see a lot of. It could be kids' video game uh, services where kids can come and play video games. It could be um, a TV service where people can come and watch football, wrestling, boxing, whatever the community wants to come and watch. They all tend to congregate in and around wherever there is a cell phone station. So what we've now started looking at as that we're doing as well is not just powering those cell phone towers, but also providing power to the small and medium scale businesses that are in and around the cell phone towers. Um in a more renewable or clean, providing them with clean energy, more cost effective way providing that reliability that they need to operate their business.
0: Thanks for listening to Energy and Africa. I'm your host, Chris McLean. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, stonechaircapital.com, to your friends and colleagues. And please, leave us a positive review on all your social platforms. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts and videos. Check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Details are all on the show notes. Join us next time for another edition of Energy and Africa.